it's always better to do time on the bike that's longer than the actual race event. Um, and I know we're talking very generally here because we have people who are very early stages of their triathlon career from people who are absolute elite. This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. In today's episode, we are continuing our series on how to train for an event properly. And so far in the series, we've already done marathons, half marathons, Ironman, half Ironman. And today we are talking about the Olympic triathlon. The Olympic distance is 1.5 kilometer swim, 40 kilometer ride, 10 kilometer run. And it is one of the most common triathlons that people will undertake. So we're going to talk about how to train for that distance specifically. But before we do that, we want to start with our normal segments with our gratitude and what's caught attention. So dad... What are you grateful for this week? And welcome back onto the podcast because uh, we missed you last week after you had some pretty major back surgery. So I imagine that's a part of your gratitude. Oh, most definitely is, Jordan. Uh, I feel like I've stepped out of the world for uh, 10 days. Um, I don't know what's happened. Um, it's taken me a whole lot of time to catch up to what's been going on because once you go into that um, surgery, hospital situation, everything else in the world seems irrelevant and you're just focusing on surviving. Um, surviving the, the tension of going into the operation, doing the operation and trying to recover. Um, so right from the outset, I've got to say a um, big shout out to uh, to Mr. Wang, um, who no one around the world would probably know who I'm talking about, but he's the, the back surgeon who operates here in Melbourne and uh, I can't be more appreciative of uh, his skills. Um, uh, it's great too that I actually coach this person. Uh, he's a prolific Ironman um, triathlete, um, and I, I'm amazed how he can fit in um, his job and training for an Ironman, and he manages to do to do both. Um, he's an incredible human being, and uh, I am absolutely um, very appreciative of uh, what he's done for my back. Um, it's been a long time coming. I've had this for a long time, this injury, um, which I've just managed, and I suppose that's a whole topic on itself, isn't it, being able to manage something that, that could be better if you if you just stopped and, and allowed someone to help you um, or you just put your head in the sand and keep <laughs> keep plowing on. And uh, it got to a point where I was starting to have some functionality problems and no matter how good my core and strength was, um, once you've got um, some bones hitting your nerve in your back, there's no coming back from that. There's no amount of strength and core that's going to stop that. So... So yeah, my, my appreciation, my my gratitude is about appreciation for uh, for the, the the skill of uh, of Mr. Wang and and also, I on the same topic, I really appreciate the fact that I get great perspective again when I'm going to be out off the bike for the next six weeks, um, and it's a twelve week rehab program that I'm on, um, and I just did my first walk the other day and I walked for ten minutes, so I think I went fifty meters, so. Um, so it, that gives it perspective. Um, my aim is to see if I can get to to 500 meters by the end of the week, um, and then maybe if I can do a kilometer. And it's taking me 20 minutes to do a kilometer, so I don't know what that pace is. <laughs> Not very 20 fast. Minute, tw- 20 minute K pace, is that right? <laughs> yeah, 20 minute K pace. <laughs> yeah. So we laugh, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, that's my gratitude. 
No, that's really good. Um, for those following along, I guess, uh, the audience, um, it was you were straight into your classic super coach mindset. The moment you came out of surgery, you were already talking about the rehab and everyone's kind of saying, just slow down a bit. And then I think it turns out that you don't really remember what you were saying. Like, you know, you sent in some funny texts to the, to the family chat, but that does give a good insight into your mindset. But I think it'd be good, a little good test to kind of um, maybe talk about your progress over the next 12 weeks uh, because it's something that you know, it's a new challenge and every athlete kind of goes through these things where you have to suddenly do some training that you haven't been used to and um, for, you know, you're so used to consistent training on the bike and triathlon training, but this is a whole new kind of program of, of slow progress with walking, strength, conditioning, all the stuff we kind of talk about off the bike. And so, it will be good to share that journey with the listener, I think, and um, see how your riding progresses over this 6-12 um, week uh, period and then even six months down the track to see how you're going. No comment. Good. <laughs> yes, I was going to. I was going to say. Look, having watched Remco go from that horrific crash and seriously having to be assisted to walk and then go and win the world titles, it it's pretty inspiring and it just gives you hope and and motivation to know that you know if you do all the right things and I follow the program properly, um, I'll I'll get back to where I want to be and and I know I'm not a twenty year old, you know professional rider and 64 and you know things will take a long time to 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 do what he's done in a short time but but i'm up for the challenge and i i I just so motivated can't wait i've got bad fomo right matt right now with everybody doing what they're doing training and um and you know it makes you realize how much you do love something when it's taken away from you so yeah there's a whole lot of lessons here that i'm going to take out of it a lot of negative things but uh, there's certainly some positives and that's what you got to look for Absolutely. And the Remco one is, is so inspiring because some of the footage, it just looks like this guy's never going to walk again. You know, he's having to be so assisted to take his first steps and to go from there to world champion, not just to get back to fitness and not just to get back to a really good level to become world champion in a very short amount of time as well. You know, it was it was only a few years and you think, you know, Egan Manal had a horrific crash a few years ago and he still hasn't been able to get back to his top form. Um, For it is half room as well yeah it is it's inspiring to see uh, my gratitude quick one is um i've been traveling around a lot recently and my gratitude is for the generosity of people that have met along the way i've just had so many people um make things really easy for me people offering up places to stay people really going out of their way to um, make parts of my journey a lot easier i've been actually overwhelmed with um the generosity of people and uh, especially a lot of strangers you know Sometimes the world, especially when you watch the news or something, can feel like a negative place with the amount of people doing negative things out there, especially in America. You know, there's been a mass shooting every weekend, I think, since since being here, which you don't want. And when you focus on that, it really, um, it really can bum you out a bit. But um, from a personal perspective, uh, you just feel so um, grateful for the generosity of people. So that's definitely my gratitude. Moving on to what has caught your attention, there's a few things we want to touch on before we get into the uh, – the, um, main topic of training properly for an Olympic triathlon, but what's been catching your attention recently? Well, um, the Giro, which is I'm quite excited about being um, injured. I've got a lot of time to, to really look and analyze about uh, what's been happening in Giro. And from a coaching point of view, there's so many lessons that I, I, I'm quite excited about getting out there. And it's not, you know, it's great to see who's winning and who's losing and, and those riders come and go and um, and at the moment, we've got a whole bunch of fantastic bike riders. But, but as I've said to you many times, every generation has the same group of fantastic bike riders. It's just the new breed comes along and you think it's exciting, and it is. 
but there's a lot of lessons that are keep recurring year after year, decade after decade. And and watching uh, watching the the second time trial at the Giro where uh, Remco had won the first time trial and it was a really short one and it had a little punchy hill at the end and he put huge time gaps into everybody in GC on that really short TT. Yeah, that. Uh... The first time trial had uh, a really short punchy hill and the second time trial was a 35k way longer flat course and it happened to be on a really wet, miserable, rainy day. The good thing was the conditions were the same for every one of the GC riders uh, and pretty much the whole field. So when you're comparing egg apples with apples, um, it was interesting to see from a coaching point of view the way Remco went about um, performing in the in the time trial. And you know you'd have to say that he would be disappointed to only win by one second ahead of Geraint Thomas and um, Theo Gagenhart and Stefan Kung, who were all within one second, one, two, three, mm. four seconds of, of first place. And that itself is, is an exciting result, really. Incredible. But yeah. the point I'm making is um, he won the first time trial by, you know, 20, 30, 40 seconds. Um, he would have expected to be 40, 50 a minute ahead of everybody else in the field. He didn't know and we didn't know that he had COVID and – he started the time trial as if he was feeling normal, uh, as a normal time trial is going to the world titles or stage one of a time trial in a grand tour. And he tried to ride the same power um, that he would have had he not been feeling a little bit off. And and from a coaching point of view, this is the thing we want to talk about, the feelings you you have to identify in your body when you line up on the start line. And, and the expectation is that you should be able to do X amount of watts. But if you absolutely don't feel like those numbers are achievable, you need to change your game plan. And it was really intriguing for me to watch it live. And I'm saying, wow, Roglic is getting hammered here and he's 30 seconds down after the first sector, which is only 12K. Um, he's going to get hammered by Remco here. And and by the end of the ride, he only lost 17 seconds. So he'd beaten Remco over the next two sectors and, and Remco had faded badly, which says that and he actually said in his interview, he started way too high. But he said, I actually started at the numbers I should be able to ride, but I couldn't ride them. Um, I was I was absolutely not feeling good. And when he did that interview, he didn't know he had COVID. And he he was almost saying, I don't know what was wrong, but maybe I was tired from you know the eight days of racing. And you're always looking for reasons, and that's fair enough. You should be when you're analyzing uh, your result. But as it turned out, the thing we talk about a lot is how are you feeling? And if you feel that those numbers uh, are unattainable, then change your plan. And he said he felt fantastic and at the start and within – 10, 15 minutes, he already realized that he didn't feel fantastic anymore Then, and it was almost too late to, to do anything about it and he pretty much had to try and hang on, which shows how good a rider he is, to try and limit his losses rather than obliterate the field, which is what his plan was. He still ended up winning the time trial. You know, it's a stage win in any, any grand tour is something that you can't sneeze at even if it's one second and ask Garant Thomas, would he rather win by one second you know, or come second, and he's come second a few times by less than you know five seconds. So, you know, he was very excited to be that close to Remco, but he's still frustrated they didn't win the stage. Um, you know, in a day like that when the conditions are so bad, any corner, you know, taken slower than the last corner is really going to be a contributing factor to one second or two second loss um, over the the course of that. So that's what caught my attention on the time trial, and it was really interesting to 
to make note that everybody out there as an age grouper, you need to understand how you're feeling on any given day. And I know the expectation is that you've peaked and you're ready for the big race, but you actually have to be in tune with your body and understand that you may not be able to do that and you will still get a good outcome if you adjust your race plan and strategy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How you're this is such a good point. How you're feeling throughout the race is just so, so important for your performance and you need to be, you know, adjusting so frequently because especially in triathlon or endurance racing, you know, you, you, if you're out there for 40 kilometers on a, on a bike course or 90 kilometers in a half Ironman or 180 kilometers, there's so many times where you're going to have to potentially change strategy and you really want to make sure that um, your mind is in the right place because you'll go to a bad place in the race In the race, if um, you go down this path of exactly what could have happened to Remco. You start out too hard. You're not feeling good. You start having negative self-talk. What's wrong with me? Why can't I hold these numbers? I'm riding horribly. If that's the story you tell yourself for the rest of the race, you're not going to have a good time. Whereas you could potentially turn your whole race around if you adjust that quickly, understand that, okay, I'm not feeling flash at the start. Let's adjust the expectation, maybe potentially ride lower. You might actually freshen yourself up. You, know, you could have a really good back half, but if that story you're telling yourself at the start is what you keep going with, um, you can blow the whole day out when that might have been an unnecessary outcome. Yep, yeah, spot on, and um, it, it just can't. That message can't be rammed home too much. And we we are known for our data. Um, our, our coaching group is is really data focused, but I'm equally for those who know me really well about how am I feeling in in relation to to the data that I have expectations of writing. And they are equal in my mind. Um, and one shouldn't be rated higher than the other because if I'm feeling you know, like I'm on top of the world, that could only be fleeting or it could be the whole ride or the whole triathlon or the whole swim. Um, but, but I've got to keep asking myself throughout the whole um, race or, or sit position situation that I'm in, how am I going? Is this something I can maintain and sustain? They're the questions I continually ask over and over. And, and you know, there's a whole lot, lot of things happening with that actual, that actual topic itself is what should you be concentrating on in the middle of a, a, an event? It's continually uh, getting in touch with your feelings and in relationship to the numbers that are being shown on the screen. Um, and and little mi- minor and micro adjustments uh, as you go. And it was interesting, the camera got up close to, uh, really close to uh, Remco's um, visor and and he was in a beautiful TT position, unbelievably fast. His, his position is is brilliant. And just watching him look down at the data, then look up, look ahead, then look down. Well, he wasn't moving his head, by the way. He was just look. his eyes were darting forward and down. And I, I was amazed. I had to replay it to say, geez, he looked down like every 30 seconds to see, you know, what's going on with my numbers? Um, where am I on the course, obviously, to, to, to avoid crashing? Um, so even that was interesting to, to see that he is, you know, people say, oh, I'm just going by feel today. Well, that's great. But, um, but you know, it, it isn't going to be the best outcome. It's, it's funny because we are so data-focused yet, the data is never uh, linear. It's never a straight line. You know, it's um, you never finish a race and you've had a perfect run of data. 
you know, you might end up averaging, let's say you're trying to average 250 watts for the for the time trial, you might end up at that. How you got there can can vary wildly. And that can be because of poor execution or, or really good execution just through different periods. You know, you might be averaging, feeling really good in, in a patch and averaging 255, 260. And then you go through a bad patch and you're averaging 235 or 240. And it's how you manage those periods, exactly what you're saying. When you're in a good period, understanding that, okay, I'm just feeling good at this part, but that could change at any point in the race. And the same thing with a bad period. Um, but they all could just be fleeting. And so you do end up at 250 watts. But if you handle those periods poorly, so if you're feeling good above 250, but you get too arrogant and then start pushing to 260, 270, 280, you could end up blowing your race up because you've just gone too hard and you've been too overconfident in your ability. Same thing with the bad patch. If you're hitting that bad patch and you start to really panic and have a lot of um, yeah, negative self-view of how the race is going, you could throw the tail in and then just keep averaging 230, 240 when um, you potentially had the ability to to turn the race around. So I think it's really worth um, understanding and for a lot of people who – you know, they might get to the end of a race and they did average what they planned to average in terms of power. You still need to look at how you got there because uh, we go through these examples so often. But if you got there by starting at 280 and fading and blowing up to 220, yes, you finish at the same watts average, um, but um, you're not in a good way. You're probably um, not setting yourself up for a very good run off the bike either. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And you potentially lost um, some gains of performing you know, slightly better than you could have. Uh, because let's say yeah, your plan was 250, but on a really good day, you could hit 255, you know, but you're not going to hit 255 if you go out too hard and fade like that. You'll just be hanging on. So really important points to think about. Yep. And just one more point before we move on is, you know, when we go back and look at some people's, for example, if they're doing a 20-minute FTP and it, we dissect it to, to what was your 20-minute total average power? 250 is the example you're using. What were your two 10 minutes? Um 255 and 245 well straight away that tells us that that was a poor execution of or if we see reverse 245 255 fantastic we're, we're we're happy you've you've started conservatively then we go a further and we go four five minute efforts and it says 265 255 250 230 and and that tells us that you know you've ended up with 250 but it tells us you've gone a, a horrible way around it and and obviously the reverse of that is you know 240 250 255 258 and you've ended up with 250 and that tells us that you've actually planned and, and could possibly next time go better and and these are really different outcomes from the same number for 20 minutes um, so the the actual the actual chapters in the story if it's if you're using the storybook analogy the end of the book says it was, you know, this is what happened. You got 250 watts. But how did how did that happen chapter by chapter? And that's where we need to, to find out about the execution of it. And that's what we're trying to get people to understand in their training sessions, whether it's a, a five by five minute effort. You need to practice in those five minutes starting at the right watts and finishing at the right watts, not starting 300 watts and ending up at 220 to get a 250 average. Do that in your, in your micro sessions and that'll happen on race day. I had a really interesting experience uh, last week where um, my uh, Garmin holder on my bike, um, my bike computer holder, actually got snapped on the plane. And I hadn't, I went to a couple of bike shops in the area and they, they, none of them had the parts. And so I decided I'm just going to go for a ride and I'll just have the Garmin in my back pocket. Um, and so I was just riding to feel and I was doing nine by one minute hill repeats. And um, it was very interesting looking at the data after to see. Uh, how my power was and uh, I was happy that I increased the power um, pretty much every rep. Um, they were, I was very similar. I was, I was within 
two or three seconds per rep. Um, but the most fascinating thing to, to me was just how much worse my execution over the minute was for the session. And I blew a lot more energy than required because I was uh, in way too many sections. I was going way over what ha- what I should have on the hill. And even though I ended up at the same time each time, how I got there was so different on all nine reps. And there was there was some sections of the hills where I was pushing, you know, 550, 650 watts, which is just way too high when I was I was probably averaging 380, 400 for the one minute. Um, there's no need to be having a 15-second or 20-second period in there at that high because I couldn't see what I was doing. I was just trying to push myself as hard as I could. And so, as very, it was very interesting because I could have looked at the data and said, oh, well, they were all very similar. So, I'm pretty good at writing even power, even time. But how I got there was actually really inefficient and I cost myself a lot of energy. And had those rides been two or three minutes, then it would have been a different outcome. You would have faded. Um, the data would have shown a completely different scenario and you would have had to have adjusted your effort, obviously, to feel. But but I can I can guarantee the longer the time the effort, the worse the outcome is when you're actually guessing. Mm-hmm, for sure. It's a bit, bit easier in one-minute efforts. But very interesting watching the Giro uh, with Remco now having to pull out because of COVID. It has blown the race wide open. Suddenly, he had a, oh, I can't remember, I think it's a 45-second gap over Roglic in second. But now, second through to sixth, they're all within 30 seconds of each other. So, going to be really exciting. One other race we did talk about a couple of podcasts ago was the uh, the, the Vuelta Femme, the women's the Vuelta, uh, seven-day stage race. Um, and we spoke about Demi Vollering and how dominant her spring classic season had been. And you predict that would she continue that dominance in the Vuelta and win and her and the main rival of the race was the world champion, Amik Van Vluten, and they were going toe-to-toe and it, uh, it was very obvious that Vollering was the more infirm rider, stronger rider. Um, she was starting to really um, dominate some of the climbs uh, but then there was one specific stage where she got a bit caught out and it's actually unclear exactly what happened. There's no clear footage of what happened. The reports were something about um, a bike change or... or um, or a, or a puncture or something. Um, I couldn't. I could. I didn't. Couldn't find out exactly what happened. But she ended up um, being dropped by the peloton by over a minute, and that was the stage. That was the race. She basically had to try and um, bring herself back um, by herself. Um, and Bev Luton got over a minute on her, and that ended up being the race. And I would say it's pretty unfair because on the last stage, she broke away from Van Vluten on the last climb got back 55 or 58 seconds or something and ended up losing the entire race by um, less than 10 seconds. He just couldn't get that time back that she'd lost. So uh, very interesting to watch, pretty awesome racing. Uh, I think your prediction was right. She was the strongest but um, didn't quite get the outcome, which was disappointing to see. Yeah, and uh, that's that's the beauty of uh, of bike racing, isn't it? It's not always the strongest uh, that's going to get get the outcome. And if you go into races saying, "Oh, I can't beat that person," what's the point? Um, then you shouldn't enter any races. And you know, the point in case with um, with the with, with the female race, um, you know, on paper Demi looks un- unbeatable, but you know, situations occur with whether it's mechanical, physical. Um, or just plain bad luck, you know, these are the things that happen. And look at Remco, now he's got COVID. If, if people had said, I'm not doing the Giro because, because Remco's, Remco's in it, strong. I've got no chance, now he's not in the race. Um, mm-hmm. So it's opened up for everybody. And no one's going to remember that he had COVID in 10 years' time. I'll just remember who mm-hmm. was, you know, Teo Gagenhart's now the next winner of the Giro in 2023. Mm-hmm. That's my prediction, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, that that's what's going to happen. And, and look looking at the... I actually want to talk about the the women's grand tours, and the fact is that because they're not twenty one days like the the men's racing grand tours, 
it looks like all the best riders can do all three Grand Tours. And I'm not sure whether we should be looking down that track as well for the men. So I'd rather see the best riders do all three Grand Tours. I don't know what you think, but, but you know, the fact that it's only seven or eight days, all the best female riders are going to be in all three tours this year, which is absolutely brilliant. Mm. It's an interesting one. Um it's just definitely too hard for the, the three-week Grand Tour races to do more than two and, and only select few riders do you know two out of the three per year. Uh, from the riders' reports, um, even though they're so long, the racing is still so intense that if it was even shorter, I just don't know if the racing would just be too crazy because the amount of um, hype and um, excitement around these races is so big. Riders are... Uh, uh, willing to take way more risk. The peloton is so much riskier. Um, they always finish stage races in the Tour de France just saying how messed up it is, how, how scary it is. So I could potentially see that that would worsen if it was shorter. Um, so I don't know. I know the answer. It is interesting to think about, but it's really exciting for the for the uh, women's side. One last thing to talk about, I mean, we, we always talk about a lot of topics happening, but uh, I think this is really relevant for the listener. Um, and that is what's happening with Gustav Eden at the moment. Ironman world champ. Um, he's a 70.3 world champ as well. Not the reigning one, but um, previous 72 times 70.3 world champion, but reigning Ironman world champion. Uh, all the talk has been about the Norwegians, um, Gustav and Christian, um, but they've returned back to the shorter circuit and both have not been performing at the very top end, but spe- specifically Gustav turned up to the um, World Tour Olympic triathlon event in Abu Dhabi and came second last. Um, very humbling race for a world champion. Um, and then just over the weekend, he came 40th in Yokohama. And these races are important. They're not nothing races. They are BOC races for these guys, but they're also important qualifying points. And if you don't get enough qualifying points for Paris, they they won't qualify. You know, They actually need to be performing well in these races. And they have a very mapped out plan of what races they're supposed to be doing over the next um, 12 to 18 months to qualify properly for Paris and to have an uninterrupted um, regime. But... If he's not getting the qualifying points, he'll now have to change his training plan and do more races to get the uh, the points necessary. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. But the big one I want to say is that um, pro races, you know, pro athletes have bad races and have bad periods. And he's in a bad patch at the moment. And he spoke about it in an interview and he said how embarrassing it was for him to come second last in Abu Dhabi. And it, nothing really went wrong. He just was really that bad on the day. And uh, I think as amateur athletes, we can definitely get caught up in I don't know what the word is. It's not necessarily arrogance, but it's almost ignorance in, I know that if a lot of amateur athletes had that kind of result, so poor, they might fire their coach straight away or they might, you know, have such an adverse reaction. Um, And sure, you've got to, we've got to reassess the execution. You've got to reassess the training plan, what's happening, ask questions. That is all a healthy part of a a good training program. Um, But I think for all of us, you know, sometimes you just have bad days. Sometimes you're just in bad form and you can get through it. Um, But he's not panicking at the moment. He still sounds very confident in his his goals to win gold at Paris Olympic Games. But he's a long way from that right now. And it's, it's very interesting to watch. Yeah, there's a whole lot of points that uh, we could talk about this from from uh, the point of view of the of the amateur age group athlete, and I think it's really valid that the the pros are going through the same scenarios that would occur to everyday athletes out there, and and form is fleeting. That's the first thing we have to remember. It, it is not ongoing. You, you cannot hold form. We've talked about this so many times in our 172 podcasts that we've now done. Um, you know. Every person's form, ability to hold form will vary from person to person. That's a given. Um, some people can do it for six weeks. Some people can manage to stretch it out for eight. Most people will have trouble holding it for four. 
Um, and when you're in a good form period, that's when you hope that you've got the races that you want to do lined up because he's, you know, it takes a bit to get back to that form again. Um, and, you know, to be able to hold that over an eight-week period, um, that's a sign of a really well-seasoned athlete, in my opinion, who can just come up and down um, and, and manage to, to stay where they want to be and race where they want to be. And, and if I look at um, Sam Long, like – Four weeks ago, people were basically telling him he's a hack and he's washed up, um, and he's you know he's, he's he's talking like he's you know a better athlete than he is, and all of a sudden he comes out and wins back to back half Ironmans, and and you know sure the competition may not have been as good as the PTO race, but this is an example of of how form can change, um, and you know. The competition wasn't as good as it was in the PTO, but his times, you know, he rode 150 odd 90k and he ran a, a 111 or 110 or 19. I, I, I remember, can't remember exactly, but it, it was really think, very yeah. competitive. Yeah. 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 Your main point, I guess, is um, it doesn't matter who was racing that race. He, probably would have beaten them with a with a 152 bike just insane <laughs> yeah and so the second thing is expectation um so form's one thing you can't hold it all the time and and your expectation is that you shouldn't be able to hold form all the time and you need to get that into your mind that you know the pros they've let's take the the Norwegians. They have done a very good job at getting themselves up for the right events. There's no denying that. They've got, they've performed when it counts. Um, And it's, you know, this is another test for them to try and perform when it's really not counting towards the big race, but they actually have to get points. Um, So there's a bit of a conundrum there. Um, They're not in the best form. They don't want to be in the best form right now. And I think it's frustrating for them that, you know, you have to qualify for these races. So you actually have to have some form. So you have to restructure, as you said, the way you go about it. And this is going to be interesting to see how they do this because if they don't get the points, they actually won't be in the Olympics. Um, And then everything that they've planned is a waste of time. Um, So jumping from short course to long course to Ironman is not as simple as it sounds. And, you know, even the pros who are doing it as a job um, are having difficulty going backwards and forwards between the two distances. So that's, as an age grouper, let's just be a little bit more realistic in your expectations that if you are saying to yourself, I'm going to train for an Ironman in, in six months' time, but I want to really do well in this short course race and this Olympic distant race, well, which one is more important? You know, These are the factors you have to consider and have better expectations that are more real. Um, I'm training for an Ironman. Don't be so down on yourself because you didn't hit exactly your best ever Olympic distance times. Um, and if you know if you were training for Olympic distance, then you should expect that you could get close to that because that's what you'd be peaking for. But you're actually not. So so having expectations that are real, based around the goals that you've set, this is this is kind of tough when the pros are just jumping from Olympic to half Ironman to Olymp- to. Ironman and seeming like they're nailing it and so it's almost it's it's a good coaching point for me to be able to bring up that they're not nailing it and and that it takes a lot to work out how to get it right and it's going to be interesting to see how this progresses. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So let's get into today's topic, how to prepare for an Olympic triathlon properly. And we've, as I said, we've done these episodes uh, in this series a few times now. Um, And so if you want to go back and listen to those episodes, the commonalities between all the distances still apply. There's some general commonalities. So in terms of um, 
basic things like getting your equipment right and and the the preparation the week of in terms of your sleep and and pre-race nutrition and um understanding the course requirements pre-race routine race day checklist um warm-up you know they're kind of all very similar the warm-up is probably the only one that's going to be majorly different depending on the distances um so today we want to focus on um the key differences that um, really apply to this specific race and we want to start with the training so what are the key differences when it comes to training for the olympic distance versus a half ironman or ironman it's a it's a quite a broad topic to, to get around um and i want to try and break it down to the obviously the three disciplines um so from a swimming point of view um we still would like to to be promoting endurance into the training program where you're swimming some sessions where you're getting to practice 400s, 800s, 1K reps um, with with some 200s. We still want to do some VO2 work where you're practicing 25-meter sprints, 50s and 100s. Um, but we, we also want to get some outdoor experience if it's in the summer season where you are actually practicing uh, in a lake, in an ocean or in a river, wherever the race is going to be held, where you're doing uh, at some stage uh, every six weeks where you're going out and doing a time trial on the distance. Um, four to six weeks is really important for that to happen. If you're in an area where it's too cold, well, you have to do it in a pool. And But you need to be time trialing practice so that you're practicing what's going to happen on race day. And for this particular distance, it's 1,500. So whether you're doing a 1K or a 1,500 time trial um, outdoors, you would expect to do 1,500. Indoors, it's harder to do 1,500. But I would be pushing for that. But if you can't manage that, a 1K is just as good. So the training really doesn't train uh, differently for swimming. Um, the fact of the matter would be for those specific sessions, you would do longer endurance, you would do uh, longer time. Um, so longer endurance as in um, the TT, the time trial for swimming, you would be doing a, a 3K or a 3, 3.8K or, or a 2K if you're doing half Ironman and, and Ironman respectively. So, so the distances of your your, of your race day specific stuff changes and the, the amount of duration time you spend in the pool might be for an Olympic might be up to 2K um, but if you're training for Ironman it could be up to 4K so so the duration is going to be different we're not going to change anything about uh, whether we're doing endurance or, or, or VO2 or, or threshold work they're all going to be the same we just add more time to, to drills we have more time to warm up we have more time to, to cool down to get the duration so that your body's adapting to to the fact that you're going to be swimming between 50 minutes and, a, and an hour 30, depending on your ability for an Ironman. So, so they're the things that, you know, it is a, a less time-consuming swimming um, training program that you're going to be faced with. So um, anything you want to add with that, Jordan, with the swim? Yeah, I think um, it could always be said that there's there's – going to be value in swimming above the required distance so we just we try and we're trying to do what's necessary right and so for an olympic distance you swim 1500 meters that's why the total volume of the sessions doesn't go above two two and a half k too often um but that wouldn't that wouldn't hurt if you could build up to that and get yourself to a point where you can be fit enough to swim three or four k um but for most for the most part we're trying to do what's necessary for the age grouper um, and not overdo it and not try and overload you with too much. Sure, more doesn't always equal better, uh, but sure there are some circumstances where you know, doing a bit more would be very beneficial, just like doing a long run that's, that's more than a half marathon is beneficial for a half Ironman training program. Um, but it doesn't mean we're trying to do that every single time um, and we're not always going for more is better. Yeah, and on that point, um, the majority of people who are choosing Olympic or sprint 
Um, they're choosing that because probably time is their problem with training. Um, it could be that they just love that distance. That could be the number one uh, reason, but it also fits in with their lifestyle where they don't have to go for, you know, really long training sessions that, that are required for a half Ironman and for a, an Ironman. So, so, you know, we're giving you the minimum and if you can add more time to it, that's that's encouraged, but as long as it's in the right zones. Um, so, and it, was, and it, was, it, it must always be said that um, when we're talking about this, this is the kind of goal that you are working towards to a training program. This isn't, this isn't where you start, um, especially if you're more on the beginner side as a triathlete. You're going to start with two, two and a half kilometer sessions, or as you said before, a 1500 meter time trial. You know, beginner athletes start with um, a 1K time trial and potentially if you've never even swum that distance, potentially lower 500 meters, you know, and if you need to work your way up very slowly to get to that point where you're doing a couple of 2K sessions a week, then you need to give yourself the time to get there. But, you know, towards the back end of your program, you really want to be able to do a solid, you know, couple of training blocks where that, that's the that's the gold standard. Yeah. So, I think we've raised a, f- a fair few topics that have, uh, that will cover both swim, bike and run. Um, but let's just get a little bit more specific with the bike sessions. The bike sessions where we're trying to, to improve our threshold, which is A, trying to ride faster. That is the goal. We want to be a faster rider than we started the program when we finished the program. So, the, the sessions we need to do don't change really from an Ironman, half Ironman, sprint or Olympic. We still need to do sessions with intensity. But the difference again is you would probably shorten the warm-up and the cool-down if you are only doing Olympic distance training. Um, And we're talking about the minimum requirement for an age grouper. But the actual session has to be relatable to your power that you've tested yourself to. So so the session itself is going to be uh, with some high intensity where you're going to continually um, stress your body to, to give it an overstimulation so that it can recover and actually improve and be be a better rider the, the following week and the following week, etc. So, so the high intensity sessions stay very similar across all three disciplines of of triathlon, Olympic, half Ironman, and Ironman. And the main difference would be where we're doing the preparation for the endurance ride. That that can be, as you said, in the swim, it can be as long as you possibly want to and the time you've got available, but the minimum you would be doing is way less than an Ironman and a half Ironman. So if we're talking building ourselves up from an endurance ride that might have started at one one and a half hours for a 30-week program and by the end of the, the 20 weeks, you're already at four hours for an Ironman program. If you're doing an Olympic distance and you're starting at an hour and a half, you don't need to go much further than two and a half hours. Um, you know, if you can do more time on the bike, it is absolutely encouraged. But we're talking about the minimum requirements to get yourself ready for the Olympic distance 40k time trial. So we're talking about a distance that might be in time 52 minutes. I know some of the top guys can ride that. That's that time for 40k to all the way up to a, an hour 50. So, so anything around that range is where we need to be training our endurance for longer than that. It's always better to do time on the bike that's longer than the actual race event. Um, and I know we're talking very generally here because we have people who are very early stages of their triathlon career from people who are absolute elite. And so if you're at that elite level, you should be thinking about doing more uh, more in the zone two side when you're doing your endurance rides 
Uh, you should be thinking about getting more hills into your legs. But but the training for Olympic distance is, is really key to get that preparation in early so that when we get to the race ready phase, which could be, you know, six weeks out from your main Olympic distance race, we are changing our program from the big endurance rides to really honing in on those hour of power. Um, and if you're a 90-minute 40K rider, it's a 90-minute hour of power. And we'll use the same ter- terminology of hour of power. But the, the reason we use hour of power is because we're talking about the intensity being for the distance of your race. So you break up that that hour's ride or hour 30 ride or hour 50 ride or 52-minute ride, you break that up into, into sh- uh, shorter intervals to start with where you're trying to ride at your race power and then as you get closer to the race, you're trying to lengthen those intervals to maintain that same race power over, for example, you would start maybe with six times 10 minutes, then you would do you know, three times 15 minutes or four times 15 minutes to, to make it to 60 minutes or, or two times 20 and then one by 40, 40K, um, which would be a 60-minute effort. So, so as you're getting closer to the race, you're wanting to spread that out so that you're getting your body used to the actual duration of holding that power that you're going to do on race day. So the Olympic distant ride training program would look something like um, continuing to do the high intensity from start to finish in your program. The changes would be in your endurance ride where you're starting uh, low and building up your time on the bike to as, as long as you can possibly uh, get to, you know, three, four hours if you can, but two and a half is the bare minimum and, and including as much strength work in that as possible until you get to that six-week out period where you start to do um, race-ready type sessions that are really absolutely relatable to what's going to happen on race day. So they're very specific. So specificity of training comes in here. And that's why they're called race simulation sessions, those race-ready sessions, because you're basically simulating, like you said, the exact power that you're going to be riding in a race. But we don't want you doing a 40K straight time trial every single weekend. That's a really grueling kind of training program to do. It's broken up into those segments to make it a little bit easier and more manageable for you to do and allows you to to work up to that point where you would feel comfortable doing a full all-out 40-kilometer time trial at that power. And I guess my next question on that is, and we've answered this a lot of times on the podcast, but... How do you know what that what that race simulation, that race ready power is? How do you know what what power you're supposed to be holding, um, or your your goal power is for the race? Yeah, and I suppose um, there's lots of easy ways to answer that. You know, you just do an FTP test uh, for 20 minutes, um, and that will give you you know your best 20 minutes, and you multiply that by 95 percent to get your your ability to ride for 60 minutes. And as as you and I know from all the data we've collected over the journey that most people's FTP is higher than their best 60 minutes. Um, so if you if you end up doing a, an FTP and you've you've managed to to push out 200 watts for for your 20 minutes and 95% of that is 190, you would have a, a lot of trouble holding 190 for 60 minutes. You would probably be able to ride between 175 and 190 somewhere in that range, depending on the athlete and how long they've been training for. Um, so the 60 minute test is a really good gauge of what your true FTP is. But that's a hard thing to do. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm encouraging people to do that 60 minutes so you get a really good clear uh, idea of what you can hold for an hour. Um, and and therefore on race day, you would try to aim to ride 95% of that to 100. And for all those who've listened to the other uh, percentages we've talked about through Ironman, half Ironman, where it's Ironman at 65 to 75 and percent of your FTP, 
80% for pros. For half Ironman, it's basically 75% to 90% for the age grouper and 90 to 95% for the pros. And in this Olympic distance, we're talking 95 to 100% of your, of your best one hour. Um, those who can get close to their best one hour will be at the top of their age group without any doubt. Um, if, you can ride, if you can ride your best hour of power in a race, that's the goal. Um, but you know you want to you want to be again measuring your effort. So so starting out after the swim um, and starting around the ninety to ninety five percent in the first two or three k is a way to go. Just like Roglic did in the in the last thirty five k time trial on the on the Giro, you know started conservatively and finished like a, a train. Uh, in this particular race, we want to start conservatively, get to our mark and hold it. We don't want to actually do go faster because we've still got to run. Um, so, so that's that's a way of finding out what is going to be your best race pace, and you'll get practice at that in the race specific sessions that we give in that program, where you get to practice um, what it what it's going to look like um, um, on race day. Yeah, and I guess um, you are, really are encouraging people to to have a crack at that that forty k time trial, um, whether it's going to take you sixty or ninety minutes at least once, maybe six weeks out from your race. Um, and that gives you a good gauge of where to train for that final block. Right? Yeah. And so that's the that's exactly the race ready phase. You know, generally I'll give you an FTP or a, or a, a 40K time trial, um, depending on, you know, what p- part of the season you're in or how many Olympic distances you've got, um, or is there one A race you're training for, or have you got four Olympic distances that you're trying to do in a, in a five-month period? Um, so once you've done, you know, two or three 40k time trials, you've got a really clear understanding for the rest of your races throughout the, the season that what your training number should be. And and when you're in those training sessions, you're trying to push that number up every time. If you're doing six by 10 minutes and you're meant to be riding at 190, see how you go with riding at 192, 195 for the six efforts. And then next time, you know, when you're doing four by 15, see if you can ride 195 for those four efforts, et cetera. That's, that's where the training practice comes in. You're trying, to, you're trying to see what happens to your body when you're pushing it outside and above the range. That's what training is, practicing things you want to see happen for improvement and on the race day. Moving on to the run because you get off the bike, you've done a tough swim, you're on a 40K bike time trial and then you've got to run 10k which i think is one of the toughest distances to do because um it it, it feels more intense than you when you you think about the half iron man or iron man it's so grueling but the intensity is not there whereas you know the 5k and 10k runs off these triathlons just um just seems so grueling because the the events it's shorter in nature and i say shorter lightly because the total time still ends up being two hours to four hours you know <laughs> Totally agree, Jordan. I think the 10K, out of all of all of the triathlon events, I think the 10K is the hardest one to run. Um, you know, 5K in a sprint uh, triathlon, it's 5K of pain, whereas 10K, you've almost got to match that pace but double it. Um, whereas a half Ironman, the intensity is definitely reduced. And obviously in a marathon for an Ironman, you know, we're talking completely different. It's, it's just basically zone two running. But, but w- what we're experiencing in a, in a half, in a, an Olympic distance is you're, you're really trying to run as close to your best 10K PB fresh as you can. And in an Olympic distance, if you want to improve your uh, position or just do a PB for your personal improvement, this is where you can do it, uh, the 10K run. And getting getting your fresh 10K time as close to your off-the-bike time is the goal in training. So a lot of those race-ready bike sessions where we're doing 
the examples we gave, a 6 by 10 or 4 by 15, you would get off and try to run 5K, 6K, 7K, 8K at your 10K race pace so that you're getting that that race ready specific example of ride run combination. Um, and that's one of the differences in the program. Uh, that would be that would be completely different to a half Ironman um, and, and an Ironman training block where there's not a lot of intensity in the running. Um, whereas this is, this is race pace intensity. Um, the other difference is we do in our program, as most people know, we do do a lot of running off the bike, um, at easy pace. Um, but our, but our Wednesday runs where we're really specifically trying to build strength and endurance for the other two triathlon disciplines with the half Ironman and the Ironman, we are now trying to get some pace into our running. Um, so we move from the strength of the hills where that should have been done early in the in the in the program we're now looking at things like 2k repeats 1k repeats and even some fartlek sessions where where you're doing faster than the race pace you're going to do on race day and and these can only be done for a short period of time because the risk here of injury is massive um, and should only be attempted for people who've been doing uh, the sport un, uninjured and uninterrupted um, you you wouldn't put a new runner into a fartlek session or some 1k reps six weeks into a program when they've only been running you know 30 or 40 minutes at a time that is a recipe for disaster so you would avoid that for your olympic distance program um even if even if that's what was required you would just try to get to the the start line without being injured so that you could be running five days a week um so there is a big difference between what i'm talking about in the running program for someone who's an elite elite triathlete, uh, a top-end age grouper, a middle-of-the-pack age grouper, and a, and a newbie, um, someone who's done very little very little running. Would you say that the running off the bike is, while it is absolutely important for any triathlon training program, it's probably the most important for um, Olympic distance because the feeling running off the bike at this distance um, is so tough because you're trying to run faster the intensity is higher whereas running off the bike is so important for the half ironman and ironman but you said the intensity is a lot lower and so you generally get a pretty shocking feeling off the bike at the start of those um, runs but you can kind of build into it whereas it's almost like the the 10k you're off and you're trying to fly from the start and so therefore it's so important to um, to match that feeling in training, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely, George. This is you know, the the sprint race is is very similar, where you're you really need to be getting a feel of after you've done, and we do this during the week sometimes, where we throw in a two or three k off the bike, where we just want you to run at at five k race pace um, after you've done a high intensity bike session, um, and in, even in the race ready weekend session, where you know we are we are really trying to teach the body to run as fast as it can after it's done you know, the requirement on the bike. Um, and there will be days where we'd be trying to do swim, bike and run. So that you're getting, um, you're getting a feel for, it. but that is logistically very hard. And, um, and most people, you know, just absolutely can't do that. They don't live near the water. Um, they don't live near a lake or a pool. Um, so, you know, in an ideal world, that would be something you would throw in, you know, once every six or eight weeks. But, but the main point we're trying to get is the run is, got to be more specific as compared to every other discipline because of the intensity that the expectation is that you're wanting to do. Um, but but remember, um, the more proficient you are and the more at the pointy end of your um, age group or eliteness, the more your ability to cope with this. Um, as you, If you know you're not in that category, then you shouldn't be thinking along these lines. You should be thinking along the lines of, I just need to get all my running sessions in. That's my goal. 
is just to get five runs in for the week or three runs in, whatever your whatever your program's asking you to do, just get them in without breaking down and and making sure that, you know, you've got the right running shoes, you've you've you're doing the strength and conditioning work to, to make sure that your body can cope with the load. Um, but but getting the consistency of the running is going to be better than than doing some hard sessions and being so sore or injured that you can't back up with the next session. So I've got to have all these caveats with with this with this podcast about really um, you know Oh, but but Jared said this is what I should be doing. Oh, Jared said this is what you should be doing according to your level, and and it's got to be clear that where when you ascertain where your level is, then you can actually implement the the, the degree of intensity. Whereas a swimming and running, uh, a swimming and biking is completely different. You you would be able to do the intensity in both those those disciplines uh, without the risk of injury. Whereas as a runner, if you haven't had an experience, uh, you are um, someone who's um, you know normally at risk of injuring themselves this is something you should steer clear of you will still be able to run well because you're getting intensity from the bike um, as long as you've got the musculoskeletal strength to, to be able to put one foot in front of the other strongly um, you will still be able to improve your running and we've proved that with many people who just can't do the intensity sessions uh, yet they can still come up on race day um, and and nail it um, without having done any hard running any hard intervals um, because they're getting it from the bike and, and the and the and the swim, so mm-hmm. so yes, it is fun running fast, doing training sessions. Not fun, but it is it is a good feeling when you're really flying. It's, fun, yeah. uh, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard work. Um, it is probably the hardest discipline to run with. Int- running with intensity is probably harder than biking or swimming with intensity in my book, um, mm-hmm. because it's a whole body experience. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas on the bike, it's probably legs and cardio. Whereas as a runner, you you know everything from your landing for your toes, your, your your arches, your heel, your Achilles, your calf, all the way up your your glutes. You know the back's getting pounded. Um, you're using your arms to propel yourself forward. You're trying to keep relaxed. You you know the whole body is being included in the activity. Um, and so that's where we have to be so careful when we're when we're giving advice generally. Um, to you make sure you understand where you sit on that line of um, experience and and injury proneness. And then, what about race day experience itself? What is what do you what does the athlete need to know about turning up to Olympic triathlon? What's what's significant about this this type of event? Yeah, I, I really think the warm ups kind of a little bit more important than any of the other warm ups uh, for the for the Olympic distance. Uh, it's really imperative that you swim swim in the in the in the ocean um, at least five minutes before your race start. Um, and do some hard little 30 second efforts um, so that when because you're going to swim 1500 meters quite quick um, compared to 2k or 4k um, I'm just rounding out those numbers 1900 or 3.8 um, so the expectation is that the intensity will be higher um, you should try to still execute obviously on race day evenly in the swim but but doing a good warm-up in the swim will really help the start um, even when I look at my data from you know the last year or two of racing um, the aquabike, uh, I'm experienced at executing. I'm still swimming way faster at the start than I am at the finish. Um, that's got a number of reasons. I don't swim enough, so I'm not fit enough to hold the form. So my fitness is poor. But my, my form falls apart as well because my fitness is poor, but I'm only swimming one day a week. So my expectation is that I'm not trying to swim fast. I'm just trying to get through the swim. Um, so that's that's one version of how I go about you know doing it as a as a really poor poorly fitness trained swimmer as compared to what I was as a professional where I was you know a very fast and fit 
swimmer for for the event. Um, so I had to change my expectation to try not to swim too hard early. And so that's my my advice is to keep that for everybody to try and swim evenly. Um, but you know that everybody, if you're everybody who's going to swim faster at the start, and that's that's a given. You can't help it. That's what happens. Everybody does it. We're all we're all trying to get out and get into a good position. If you're trying to f- uh, fight for an age group victory, and you know that there's people in the swim that you could you know, get on their feet. Then I would be practicing in training some some hard twenty five efforts, hard twenty five meter efforts, to get you used to what you're going to do. Swim hard for the first twenty five to fifty meters on race day, so that you can get on the feet that you want to be. Um, so you need to be specifically practicing this in training before you do it in a race. Um, otherwise, just swim evenly, um, and that is really key. So the warm up for the swim is important, but I would also be doing a warm up for the run just to get myself warmed up for the day. Um, if I had the ability to have a, a, a trainer there, I would plug my trainer into the car battery and, and warm up on another bike um, where I would just do you know 10 minutes of rolling my legs over. And then I'd get my running shoes on and I'd just be doing five or 10 minutes of running with three by 20 second stride outs. Um, so for Olympic distance, the warm up is probably that and the uh, sprint is is more important than a, than a half Ironman or an Ironman. Um, so, so the preparation for the race day, the night before, the week of, they're all similar experiences that you should be doing. You should be getting up at the right time so you've got plenty of time, allow plenty of time for the race day experience. But on race day, you are going to have an expectation that's going to be quite intense um, from start to finish. So, so we, we really want to have our mindset. Uh, right from our getting up out of bed, I'm on today and I have to be up. It's not an endurance day. It's going to be, I, sh- I say that lightly, it could be between two and three hours. So that is technically yeah, yeah. technically an endurance day. But it's it's yeah. going to be a day where we are running as close to our threshold. We're riding as close to our threshold and we're swimming as close to our threshold as possible and for a long period of time. So, so you really need to be focused on execution. This is so crucial. Um, the execution could blow you up so quickly and you will fade uh, fade away to nothing. Um, you don't pay the penalty in a, in a longer race where you have to stay out there longer because you've made a bad decision about your execution. It just means that you're you're going to really slow down quickly. So if you're running, you know, if you're riding too quick, um, too much power, you could end up, you know, riding 60 70 watts lower than than you should have if you start off and get too excited and ride ride too big a power. So execution's really key. Um, it's really key in any event, but it's more so in this. Um, um, and look, the nutrition side of things, I just, I just think that, you know, it's such a short event. You should be, your body should be able to cope with, with being, um, getting the nutrition from the bike that which should get you through the run. And if you need to top up, the gels are there for you. Um, but you should be practicing these on your race-ready training sessions to to work out what your requirements are nutrition-wise. Um, so the nutrition is part of the race day experience, but it is also important that you, you have practiced these things and not try something new on race day. Um, that you've you've done regularly in training and and why should you do it on that that race specific days because that's the intensity that you're going to race on so you want to practice nutrition at exactly the intensity you're going to race at not doing it on days where you're going to ride harder or swim harder or run harder or ride easier swim and, and swim and ride um, easier they're the days where the nutrition is there to help you get through the session not to practice what's going to happen on race day um, so there is a difference between the nutrition on those those different types of sessions. 
And remember that the nutrition rule is you're going to burn between 30 and 80 grams of carbs per hour. You need to top up with 30 to 80 grams of carbs per hour. And so because the race is shorter, this is what you're saying, that you could probably get that at carbs in, in that 60 to 90 minute bike ride and that would cover that first 30 or 40 minute swim that you did or 25 to 30, 40 minutes um, and then carry you through the run as well. You know, if you if you got a, a gel in, which is generally 40 grams of carbs, if that's what you work out, you can get through on. You have that one at the start, one at the end of the ride, then that would potentially get you through if you had some carbs in your drink. Um, that's another solution. Um, if you're fine, you're someone that loses energy quicker in these practice sessions and you need up to 60 or 80 grams, um, potentially you're taking a little bit more. But you know, if you're taking it early on in the bike ride and then towards the back end, um, again, practicing because sometimes if you, you took it you know, the last five minutes before getting off the bike, that a lot of people get a stitch from that. That's too close. Um, but generally, that, that kind of rule of thumb is, is what you need to practice and figure out works for you and that will get you through the 10-kilometer run. If you're running you know, below six-minute K pace and so your 10K is going to take you over an hour, that's what you're talking about where you might be someone that needs to top up on the run as well and there's plenty of options for that. But um, it's a lot simpler than the, the amount of um, potential volume you need in a, in a half Ironman or Ironman. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I just think less is better um, and you can always um, top up uh, because it's not going to be a six-hour day. You know, it's it's going to be maximum three hours for most people. Um, a lot of the population are between two and two and a half hours. So, so it's always easy to grab something and you'll get instant relief from a gel. Um, um, it's not – you don't want to be trying to force too much in, in, in a – on the bike when you could end up running with stuff sloshing around your stomach. Um, so you just need to take what's, what's required. That's, that's the, the rule of thumb. Definitely. And it's a fine line because if you go too far the other way, like you just said, and you bonk, it's really not a good feeling. And yes, you can get some relief from a quick Coke, Coke or something, but you'd prefer not to get that point to that point anyway. And I think just to finish logistically, um, there's a few slight differences in that, you know, compared to an Ironman where you're racking your bike the day before, you're, you're racking your bike the morning of in the Olympic and sprint distances. And so you've got to factor those things into time, you know, what time are you going to get there? What time do you plan on racking your bike? You know, make sure you've got your registration number and because the warm-up's longer, fitting that in as well. So that really comes into your your race day checklist but anything else to finish off with when thinking about this specific distance no i really love the olympic distance i think it, it is really uh, one of the ones that most of the population all over the the world can actually do um, and get a real sense of achievement and and there are a lot more options for it i think it's a really good event for someone who loves the sport of triathlon but doesn't have the time for the half Ironman and for the for the Ironman events, and you can do lots of them over summer. Um, you could do one each each four weeks, and that would be what I would encourage if that's what your race is that you want to really hone in on. You can train really well for it and not get that burnout factor. There's so many positives for the Olympic distance that I'm a big fan of. I'm a little bit disappointed that the the swim and the bike and the run, in terms of, um, I think they don't right have here. it quite quite right the ratio um it should so, be a 1k swim shouldn't it yeah i think so but um but the swimmers will be screaming the house down if, if they uh if they hear me say that but uh but yeah look it, it, that's where it is and we have to deal with that so um you need to improve your swimming um but but i love the olympic distance i think it's uh it's there for everybody it's all there for the masses and i and i encourage people if if you're new to the sport it is something that feels like an endurance event uh, and it is um and it's a real sense of achievement and and it's over quickly so um you don't have to spend you know hours and hours training for it so um i'm a big fan of the olympic distance 
quick is relative here because we say it's over quickly compared to the nine to twelve hour Ironman event. But to any uh, layperson, you know, the Olympic distance is not a quick. You know, two to three hours of racing is not a quick event whatsoever. But it's so funny. We're so used to talking about you know seven hour gravel rides on this podcast and and big endurance stuff. It, it does. It really does relatively seem quick. Um, it's and to be honest, I mean, looking at the results on the weekend, this this distance specifically just makes me sick. Looking at the pros because you know the top guys ran twenty nine minutes. 30 or whatever. Matt, Matt Hauser, the Aussie, came second in an absolutely terrific performance, but he's run you know, 14.45 twice in a row for 5K and the women's, you know, the fastest times below 33s. They're just absolutely flying. I just can't even fathom them running those times after one and a half K of absolutely brutal, brutally fast swimming. And then they're just going all out on the bike. They're on the road bikes, not the time trial bikes, but they're just, they're just maxing out. They're full attacking each other like a cycling crit race and then getting off and running. It just, it's so funny to watch. I think one last point I did want to mention, you know, we, we spoke about Gustav Eden before. Um, we won't go down this rabbit hole too much, but in a recent interview, he spoke about his swimming and he just said it's easily his weakest. He's just never gotten that good at it. And again, good relatively because he's an absolutely elite swimmer, but just compared to the pro guys, you know, he was, he was a minute off the back of them um, at Yokohama and the same thing at Abu Dhabi. And he just could never, you just can't catch up from that. You know, they're, once they're gone, if you're not in that front pack, you, you're not going to be there. And he kind of admitted in the interview very casually that he's almost given up on improving his swimming. He said, I've just done everything I can and I'm, I just don't think I'm going to get that much better. And to me, that's interesting because if he's not going to get much better, I can't see how he's going to be anywhere near the front pack um, come the Olympics. So that'll be an interesting one to watch, especially because they're so convinced that they can use the science and training to improve everything. You know, there's no point improving their bike and running if he's not going to be in the front pack. So interesting one to watch. You'd have to be an elite bike rider and runner um, way above the level of the rest of the field to catch up and and that is that is damn hard. And look, I, I, I totally disagree that he can't get better as a swimmer. I, I absolutely <laughs> refuse to accept that. Um, you know, the, the, it is a skill acquisition swimming and, and if you concentrated on improving your stroke technique, there is no reason why you can't swim faster. Mm. interesting one it'll be good to watch but that's it for this episode as always thanks very much for listening and we'll see you on the next one 